Gondrepreneur is excited to announce the launch of our new YouTube series, The Fresh Cut, hosted by Kara Whitstock. Hi, I'm Kara Whitstock, host of The Fresh Cut by Gondrepreneur. In this interview series, we get straight to the source and speak with the real people working in the industry. In our first episode, I spend time with Nancy Southern, whose current mission is to educate seniors on cannabinoid medicine. She lets us know how to facilitate a comfortable retail setting for older adults and provides product recommendations directly from her own experience. Catch this in all future episodes on YouTube. Hey there, I'm your host, TG Brandfault, and thank you for listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of Gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm joined by Open Door co-founders, Catherine Blackwell, who serves as CEO and is a former co-founder of the Kahala Corp, an international QSR business with brands such as Cold Stone Creamery and Blimpy Subs and Salads, and Chelsea Mulligan, the dispensary whisperer and COO who has eight years of experience in the cannabis industry operations and compliance space. Open Door provides a modern cannabis retail model with a turnkey approval through its franchising model. How are you doing this afternoon, ladies? Wonderful. Thank you for having us. Doing fantastic. Yeah, thank you. We're so excited to be here. It's, it's a pleasure. Uh, we have a lot to discuss. Uh, you guys come from Arizona, which uh, is newly legalized. Uh, and I mean, they got there faster than anyone else, which we're going to talk about. Uh, but before we get to Open Door and before we get to Arizona, let's talk about you guys. What's your background and how did you end up in the cannabis space? Well, I spent 25 years in quick service restaurants, uh, franchising space, um, building Multiple brands, like you mentioned, Cold Stone Creamery and Blimpy Suds and Salads were a few of our brands. Uh, we actually took a couple of them internationally, so have a little bit of experience, uh, not only domestically, but also internationally with uh, the franchising uh, the franchising model. Um, with all of that experience, I saw this emerging industry in cannabis and realized that there was, uh, there was definitely a need for the franchising model in the, the dispensary space. Um, we saw a lot of variances in, in, you know, really what customers could expect when they walked into a dispensary. Um, they were either walking into what may seem like a medical clinic or, you know, more of that traditional head shop. Um, we wanted to build something that customers could know they were walking into a true retail experience. And, um, get the education and know that they had the, the somebody to teach them and help them find the products that they were truly looking for to serve their needs. Interesting. How about you, Chelsea? What, what brought you to this industry? So um, I've been a consumer for about 15 years, um, a little bit over that. And it helped me in so many ways medically. And I happened to find an ad for a space um, to start in management. And I realized very quickly that my experience with like operations, SOPs, mergers and acquisitions was going to play a very big role. Um, and then kind of went out on my own and created my own consultant firm to be able to help them SOPs and policies and procedures, employee training and all of that. How did you two find each other? <laughs> uh, through through our our uh, our other partner Brian McLaren, 
I met Brian at an event that was not cannabis related at all. And um, once I found out that he was already in the cannabis uh, industry with real estate and zoning and permitting, um, I tapped him on the shoulder and said, I've got this idea. And he really liked it and said, you've got to meet Chelsea Mulligan. This is, a, I guess, here we are. <laughs> How, when, when you started doing, you know, this, this dispensary whisper, this sort of consulting, um, you know, what were some of the similarities uh, from, you know, your previous roles doing SOPs and that sort of thing, Chelsea? Um. So just creating standard operating procedures, right? Um, a lot of people think that just because it's cannabis, it, you have to reinvent the wheel or it's something new. In reality, it's retail employee training and doing things the same way, the most efficient way to be profitable, keep your employees, make customers happy, all of that. Um, I mean, that translates from clothing through the gym world where I come from, as well as the chiropractic world where I come from. So um that that's kind of what I think works. Okay. So, so Catherine, tell me about migrating from a more traditional franchise space to the cannabis industry. You know, what's the learning curve there? Oh, the learning curve is in, incredibly difficult. Uh, well, I should say it's, it's very steep. Um, the industry is so highly regulated, as you know, um, and so many nuances that may not fall into a traditional uh, traditional franchise space or traditional business. Um, but knowing that the industry is still growing and still um, maturing, there were a lot of instances like Chelsea just mentioned, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So bringing some of those traditional franchise tools and tactics and systems um, into the industry, uh, it seems like it's very, it's been very welcomed um, and People are really appreciating the value that 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 can bring. So for people who might not sort of be aware, you know, they understand the franchising model, right? McDonald's and, and this sort of idea. Right. Can you explain, you know, how this model works in, in the cannabis space and, and how it, you know, takes the pain out of building a cannabis business? Well, again, it goes back to that learning curve um, and and that trial and error. So we've we've built the dispensary prototype um, with all of the architectural plans, all, all the security systems that are in place, all of the decor elements. We have vendors already selected. We've got insurance companies who are lined up, ready to go. So you are ten steps ahead, if not more, um, when you join a franchise system. And and all of those vendors are fully vetted. We've we've looked at their um, their backgrounds and who their existing customers are. So you've got this playbook um, just laid out in front of you and ready to go. So you're not wait, wasting that time. Um, you're just bypassing the learning curve and, and really 10 steps ahead of any of your competitors in the market by having all of this already laid out. And, and, and what's what's your, sort of your take on that, Chelsea? You know, you've been operating in this space for so long. I'm sure that you've seen, uh, you know, a plethora of different dispensary models. Uh, you know, so so why does this one, you know, why did why were you drawn to this? So for me, um, 
like I said, I mean, not only is the word standard operating just means standardized, right? Um, I do think there has to be some changing per market. So we do kind of work some of those local feels into our designs, as well as like the products that we choose. Um, but for me, I just like we love Starbucks. I know that I can go into Starbucks when I'm in Florida traveling with my kid and get the same thing. While they may not get be able to get the same brownie in Arizona that they can get in New York, they would then be able to have the same quality, right? That vendor has been vetted for maybe how they use their extractions going into that edible or what vape pen product they use and where they buy it from. Um, so that is, as soon as I heard Kathy's idea about franchising, I'm like, that's brilliant. If we create the ultimate dispensary model, it can be duplicated over and over again. And also like, it gives the owner empowerment. Like we want nothing. We don't want to own their license. That is never our goal. It will never be our goal. Um, so to be able to give them the empowerment to be 10 to 20 steps ahead, have less risk, skip some obstacles others are going to play at. And I, I think it, you know, it just all fits for me. And if I could chime in on what Chelsea was just saying as well, it's, it's not only the setup and, and, um, helping them pick out those, the, the quality of products that they, that the brand would require and that the customer would, would expect from our brand, but we're there to support these operators as well. We're going to, you know, we don't just sell it to them and get them open and say, you know, see you later. We're checking in on them. We're coming in and helping make sure that, um, that we're walking through their, um, their compliance standards and before they get inspected, um, by their local authority. So we're, we're helping helping them along the way. So um, as I like to say, you know, they're in business for themselves, but not by themselves. So um, it's, that's another key element of that franchise model. So, so, I mean, obviously Arizona is in sort of the very early stages of recreational legalization. Um, obviously you're going to get a lot more vendors over the course of the next year, two years, certainly uh, talk to me about Arizona's reforms and, and what's, is there anything unique about the state's legalization law? So I would say the thing that is most unique about it is every other state that has gone recreational has opened up, you know, a ton of new licenses for new players to come in or existing players to apply for new app for new licensing. Um, here, it was a little bit different. Um, while we will have some applications um, for like more rural cities or counties, um, it all the current license holders were able to apply and be approved very quickly to then be both medical and recreational, um, which gave, you know, the proven dispensary models, the ability to just flip very quickly. And that's why the application process went so quick. Um, but then they're also having 26 social equity licenses, which I mean, to be honest, we're super excited about at the open door because those are the people, you know, that may not have all of the resources that the people coming in with a lot of capital do and we want to handhold right we want to help you through every single part ask all the questions um so we're really excited about those 26 because that's our one of our not our ideal franchisee because anyone is our ideal franchisee but um really giving a leg up to those people you know that this business was built on um as a basis 
So, and, and, and you mentioned, you know, that this sort of happened very quickly that, you know, the, the, the current operators were able to get licensed. I mean, for example, Virginia's on the verge of passing uh, legalization, but they're not going to open up a market till 2024. Uh, it, it's taken from ballot box to uh, open. We're talking November, October, you know, we're talking just, uh, just six months, something like that. So, so, you know, for for your company, does this have um, what, what impact does this have on sort of the franchise model? The fact that this happened so quickly is is there any impact? I don't know that there. It's a huge impact um, for it moving so quickly. I think it um, it brought some broader awareness to the cannabis industry and some and probably some credibility. Just that people are really looking for these types of products and wanting to get them without having to go through the process of of getting a license or getting a medical card and and all of that. Um, I mean the the interest in the industry and this amazing plant that can help so many different people. I think people are looking for a holistic and a more naturopathic remedy for maybe some of those chemicals that they've been taking in pills or prescriptions that they've been taking forever. And if they can do something naturally to help those ease their pain of joints or, or treatment, um, that just shows me that's that's the real interest there. And if you have that much interest from the community and from the general public, um, that's definitely a good sign for a retail environment. <laughs> Can, can you tell me what your conversations have been like with people uh, that have, you know, shown interest in your model or just sort of operators that, that you've talked to uh, in the time that it passed up until sort of now? Can you give me some insight into to, to the how operators are thinking currently? Well, you know, I, I, this is Kathy. I can, I can just jump in a little bit on the, on the conversations that we've had over the last year. And then I would love to get Chelsea's feedback on current operators or current license holders. I think it would be valuable too. Um, you know, we've talked to a broad range of people, either um, individual people who are seeking out a license and just love the idea. They've never been in the retail space before, like some of these social equity license holders um, might be. And the idea that someone can help them through not only the cannabis, navigating the cannabis industry and all those regulations, but navigating just the retail environment and, and a general business operation has been really, really interesting. Um, on the flip side, um, we've had conversations with some larger uh, organizations, um, venture capital firms, you know, who have an equity uh, position in multiple licenses, but have only um, used those licenses in the cultivation piece or in the processing um, side, because they just didn't want to get into retail or didn't know how to get into retail or just thought it was going to be too cumbersome. So the conversation that they can even increase the value of that license by having a, a retail dispensary addition to their operation, um, they're, they're seeing how that can increase the value of, of their ownership. So um, really kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, but just showing you how broad the, the interest is and, and the, the value. Um, but I'm sure Chelsea could speak to, you know, some of these existing license holders and really what some of the struggles that they've gone through and why this could be valuable. 
Uh, so I, I can speak to current license holders. So I'm currently the director of operations for two licenses in Arizona um, called Hannah Meds. And, you know, navigating this space with DHS rolling this out so quickly, um, getting the application prepared, preparing our staff, you know, all of us kind of anticipated a little bit lengthier of a time to order child resistant exit bags and hire some extra people. Um I think probably the biggest hurdle so far has been that with our dispensaries outside of Phoenix proper, we, you know, most of Arizona was bound by a 2000 square foot rule for all retails. Just recently, Phoenix um, made it larger to 5,000 square feet. So dispensaries within Phoenix are now able to kind of open up a little bit more and be able to, well, the ones that have the room, right? Um, are able to see, see all of those recreational customers that are coming through. So I, our, our struggle has been personally in our license is just, you know, navigating how to manage a large influx of people, um, not have it be chaotic, abide by social distancing. Um, cause COVID's still a thing. Yeah. And, um, that's, I think been the biggest hurdle, but here's the thing. If you're, in cannabis, that means you enjoy change. It means you enjoy learning. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. You're not learning. Um, so it's been real uncomfortable in Arizona <laughs> for about 45 days, um, especially because testing rolled out here and that has extremely affected supply um, and wait times. I mean, we're running almost anywhere from four to eight weeks to get testing uh... in batches. So um, that has been a huge hurdle. Um, but I think, you know, I think the state is learning from what they've rolled out and we're learning from how we do things on the industry side. And, you know, the biggest thing for me is I think if you could create a relationship between the two that has really great communication, um, that, that would have made this rollout exponentially better, but for next time, right? I mean, I'm still, I, I remember writing stories. It was like one day, you know, uh, they're, they're, they may come next week. And then the next week it's like, they're here. And I was just blown away by that. Um, you, you did, you touched on something about the sort of square footage uh, issues. Um, and something that I think we don't talk a lot about on the show that Catherine, you brought up at the top was, was zoning uh, in, in the cannabis space. And, and, you know, every state has different sort of rules. Um, talk to me about this sort of zoning issues and, and the barriers that this places uh, on the cannabis industry. And, and what are some of the best practices for operators to ensure that they are abiding by those sometimes complex rules? Right. So the zoning and permitting is not only state by different state by state, but city by city. Um, every um, even local communities can, can it can vary. Municipalities and cities and towns it all can vary so differently. So my my suggestion would, would be don't go it alone. <laughs> Find someone who can help you and and navigate that process. Who has the experience to to go in and do it right from the beginning. Um, you don't want to get through you know, even halfway through the process and, and find out that you, you don't have the proper zoning. You, that would just such a waste of time and uh, exponentially more headaches. Right. How, how does um, that work with the, I'm sorry to cut you off, but how does that work with sort of a franchise model where you have, you know, sort of the footprint built and you have to apply that footprint to, you know, Scottsdale and then in Phoenix. Right. 
Right, right. And and that all goes back to finding somebody like Zone Properties, our partner, who's the expert in in this space and in only works in the cannabis industry. So um, even if we have to go, you know, to a city council meeting and and try to get uh, zoning changed or get a variance or something, they already have those relationships and they know exactly how to ask for them and how to work through them. So that is part of the service that with that is part of the franchise is connecting um, these operators with all of the resources that they need and and the zoning and permitting would be one of them. Was that something you experienced too, Chelsea, in, in your role as a consultant, a lot of these, these sort of zoning issues come up? So I didn't personally handle that. I'm definitely more on the operation side. Um, but that's how Brian and I had met previously is um, a lot of his work within zoning, um, you know, kind of, you know, so she said that um, it changes city to city, state to state. And a lot of times like city and state don't match, right? So um, Brian and Brian zone properties are responsible for, you know, getting the zoning done in Tempe and even like um, getting the canopy, canopy space. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not elongated, but increased. Um, like you used to only have 25,000 square foot of canopy in the city of Tempe. Um, and then they expanded that, whereas the state doesn't put a cap on it, right? So those are like a little things of zoning when you're choosing a building or choosing a city to be in that having an expert like Brian and zone properties, I mean, just, again, gives you five steps to 10 steps ahead. I mean, I, I've always really been, I'm a weird guy in that I, I like the getting into the details of zoning laws and, and because, you know, the ideas of variance and, and maybe I'm just a nerd in that regard, but <laughs> there, there's definitely something I think fascinating to these, these little nuanced rules. Um, Chelsea, on your website, you talk about setting realistic expectations and parameters uh, for operators. What, what, what are those expectations and parameters in, in your estimation? I, th- I think it's a, a, a very sort of, striking term that you use because it's it's I, th- I think it speaks to the sort of uh your your attitude towards this this industry so i think one of the biggest like parameters i set would be making sure that the license holders and the managers understand compliance right um also the employee the entry-level employees but top down right um So compliance is the biggest parameter I set. Um, As far as realistic expectations, it's, you know, if you don't train your employee and you don't invest in them, then you don't get to expect this. So you need to be realistic in what you're willing to give, what you're willing to put in your, into your employees, into your dispensary, right? Like, um, I don't, I'm usually very, very humble, but I will be honest, we have created a beautiful dispensary model. And I think that that's where this is going though. You know, the more smoke shop feel, um, more just closet feel that came in 2010 to 2015, it is going by the wayside because we are starting to move into more mainstream. This is just retail and it's expected. So I think, you know, setting a realistic expectation of if you're not going to put in that effort to create a brand and a feel and a customer experience. Um, You can't then expect to be ahead of the competition and set yourself apart. So um, those are some of the expectations I set. How would you, Catherine, how would you describe, you know, maybe in in one word, your, your model um, or, you know, what's your favorite part uh, of what you guys have designed? 
the dispensary itself or yeah the dispensary itself oh you know it just feels like you're walking into a true retail experience the lighting and the way the products are displayed and truly um merchandised for for people to be able to find what they need or or um be look you know just explore what kind of products um are out there um it's it's streamlined we've got um great salespeople that will be on the floor we've really built in um a a huge um, educational platform that all of the team members will be required to take. So when we say all are welcome at the open door, it's it's truly um, from the heart. You know, we we want anyone who's interested in the product if they've never um, tried cannabis or never experienced it before, but they really want to learn maybe how it can help them, or to the you know the the um, the cannabis user who's knows what they like and knows what they want, they can come in and explore other products. But it's truly a retail experience. Um, like I said, the lighting and the merchandising and the, the streamlined flow of, of getting um, customers in and out and uh, not feeling rushed, but getting the help that they need. And so it's, it's really just taking it up to a different level, the next level up, which I think is what, as Chelsea mentioned, you know, it's what consumers are expecting these days. Um, if you're going to come face to face now, not just ordering online, which we will have online ordering as well, but you know, if you do want to come in, they're expecting more than than a closet and um, you know somebody grumpy behind the counter. <laughs> <laughs> I managed head shops for a long time. I was for for sometimes that grumpy guy behind the counter of a head shop. That is true. <laughs> um, Chelsea, what about you? Is there one word that you might use to describe uh, the dispensary or sort of your favorite part about what you guys came up with? Um, so my favorite part, I think is also the training model Kathy was talking about, like the platform we're using is amazing. The, the training and the ongoing training. Um, I'm a big believer in continuing education. I think that should be a thing for all bud tenders and all employees that are interacting with a customer. Um, honestly, my, but my ultimate favorite thing personally for me is that, um, you know, I've, I've been helping clients for years, write SOPs and create their dream. And um, I'm not saying they hindered me at all, but to not have a barrier of it being someone else's dream and me be able to put everything I've ever envisioned would be the perfect dispensary model thing idea to make an ultimate dispensary model. I think that's my personally favorite thing. It's kind of like my dreams coming true in front of me. You you guys seem like you you have formed this really uh, this this really excellent partnership that that and it's it's great to to sort of see you guys you know separate but but talking about the same thing you you can feel the the energy that you both have for this project. Um, what does the future of the industry look like in Arizona? Do you think that it's going to be, uh, you know, sort of mostly, um sort of flower? Uh, are you expecting a lot of edibles? Like, you know, because because Leafly just had a report and in each state, you know, we do see trends where where flower's been uh, in, in the states that have legalized longer, concentrates have sort of taken over flower, um, edibles have sort of taken over in, in some other states. So what, what do you guys see as sort of the future of the industry? So I think as far as like the products and what is purchased and how it works out, 
Um, recreationally, I think we'll see an uptick in flower, obviously, and vape pens, right? Not as much concentrates because they're not as easy maneuvered and, um, not saying they're traveling with the concentrate, but it's usually people that are traveling or on the go. Um, so they're not going to tend to dab and have the torch and all of that. Um, but I think we will eventually mature after recreational is around for a couple of years, the same way the medical market did, um, that concentrates will become a very large part, right? In the medical market, concentrates are almost 30% of your business. Five years ago, it was maybe 10%. Um, so I think that recreation, the same thing will happen. Um, but I, you know, on an overarching view, I think Arizona is just like the entire country We're it's the tip of the iceberg. Like, you know, those memes I was telling Kathy yesterday, like those memes that you see, it's like the title is here and it's a glacier, but then all the stuff is underneath and yeah. it's like all the shit you don't see. Um, that I feel like that is cannabis in general, whether it's Arizona, you know, North Carolina or the federal government, like we've only seen the beginning. And what about for you, Catherine? What is, what is your vision and for the future of the industry? Oh, gosh, I, I hope we can legalize it sometime soon um, for, for so many different reasons. A, for people to be able to explore more this, this amazing plant and everything that it can do, but also so that these the current operators and any operators going forward um, have safe banking and, and the... Uh, the finance rules are just nuts right now. And it, it just it just doesn't seem fair to a lot of these operators. Um, I'm still learning uh, a, a lot about it, but the fact that we, um, that, the, that the industry in general can be turned off by a vendor just with the flip of a switch. And then they may not have health insurance. They may not have, you know, a bank, they may not have their business insurance, um, even payroll services and email platforms, if you believe it or not, um, you know, we'll, we'll cut out a, a, an industry. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can, um, legalize the industry that will only help it grow and get better and stronger and safer. It had to have been, was it, was it shocking to you coming from a, a traditional background industry uh, to the onerous financial rules in the space? Was it surprising? Certainly. Oh, certainly. I mean, um, Chelsea started telling me some stories about just, um, you know, banks that would accept a deposit and the process of trying to make those deposits just seemed scary. <laughs> it just seemed scary to me. And then coming from a small business um, that would accept credit cards, I know that the theft and the danger and um, you know, that, that we had in just a small business with the limited amount of cash that we had on hand, I can't imagine what some of these dispensary owners and operators you know, have to deal with um, and, and what they're dealing with to have that much cash on hand. Um, so for safety's sake, um, I, I'm really hoping that we see change in, in that respect. Chelsea, could, could you speak to that a little bit? I know, you know, in California, Colorado, there, there's been some agreements made between, uh, you know, sort of small credit unions, that sort of thing for the industry or, or larger uh, sort of cadres that have formed to create these little community sort of uh, financial institution-ish sort of things. Uh, what can, can you talk to me about what's going on with regard to any sort of uh, reforms uh, in Arizona with regard to cannabis cash? So, I mean, there's not much as far as reforms. We do have a bank here that has like 
I think it's either three to five branches um, that will accept cannabis businesses. There's also, there's obviously a very large surcharge um, to have an account with them um, because you're a cannabis business. I actually remember before they officially took on cannabis businesses back in like 2014, they stopped taking money from cannabis at first because they're like, we have to order two more cash counting machines and we need to hire like two or three more people. Like you you guys are making anywhere from 40,000 to $80,000 a day and it's all cash. We, we are not used to this. Um, so, I mean, the fact that now we've gotten to a place that we can play a larger surcharge and most licenses here can have banking. Um, and I say most because not all do. Um, and we do have to have it picked up by a secured firm and everything. We're not allowed to go deposit it anymore. Um, so, I mean, we're more making forward movement, but we're, we're not there yet. Um, we got a long ways to go with the federal government to make that a thing. And like Kathy, I hope that happens sooner rather than later. Um, I mean, I remember being a mom in 2013 and driving around with a lot of cash in my car to multiple banks because that was what the option was. And I'm grateful that now that's not a thing, Um, but it is a thing. And it probably, if it was here at the beginning of our industry, that means other states coming online, that means it's happening for them too. So just because we don't experience it here anymore doesn't mean it's not a real reality for other people. I th- thank you so much for for sharing that. I mean, it's good that you actually have one bank because in in a lot of states they don't even have that one. Um, so so wrapping up here, um, what advice would each of you have, sort of drawing from your own experiences uh, for entrepreneurs uh, who are are looking to get into either the cannabis state space at large uh, or the cannabis space in Arizona? What, what's your advice for them? Well, this is Kathy, and I guess I would just say, um, you know, be prepared with your plan. Um, know your numbers. Know, um, you know, what your what your costs are, and all of that. Um, and don't give up. <laughs> keep plugging along. <laughs> Stay informed. And and what about for, from for, from you, Chelsea? Mine would be. Um... Along the lines of Kathy's don't give up, believe in yourself. Uh, The old adage of if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will is so true, especially in cannabis. And, um, you know, I I think that having a backup plan and a backup plan to that backup plan is a good (laughs) idea. (laughs) But uh, if you know you have a fabulous idea and it works, like, don't give up, believe in yourself and make it a thing. Um, I truly believe that all of us have a little bit of entrepreneur spirit in us. Um, and we should play on that whenever we can. Um, and I think my last piece of advice is you can always ask for help from the open door. <laughs> so if people want to ask for help uh, from the open door, uh, where can they find out more about uh, your your company and, and you guys personally? Sure. Uh, well, our website is theopendoor.com. It's only one O, D-O-R.com. Um, or feel free to reach out um, either through our contact page there on the website um, or follow us on social media at The Open Door on Instagram. Um, or obviously I'm on LinkedIn, so you can reach out to me there too. Yeah, we're both on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Instagram, The Dispensary Whisperer, follow The Open Door and 
be excited for our first location. It's a, it's a great moniker, by the way, the dispensary whisperers. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> I, I had a client dub me it. He was like, I heard from somebody else that you're the dispensary whisperer and I need to hire you. And I was like, I love that name. <laughs> when I, when I, when I was, when I was doing a little research and I saw that, I just, I, I, I really, I, I giggled uh, very, very much. It, it, thank you for, for that giggle. Um, that is open She's door. earned it. She, she, I think, I, I think so. Uh, these, the, that's been the Open Door co-founders, Catherine Blackwell, uh, who serves as CEO and is a former co-founder of Kahala Corp, an international quick service restaurant biz- business with brands such as Coldstone Cream Creamery, uh, Blimpy Substance Salads, and Chelsea Mulligan, the dispensary whisperer uh, and COO. Uh, she has eight years of experience in the cannabis industry operation and compliance sector, and Open Door provides a modern cannabis retail model with a turnkey approval through its franchising model. Thank you so much, ladies, for being on the show. And I look forward to uh, one day seeing uh, an open door dispensary uh, in all of its glory. Um, and and uh, I, I wish you guys the best of luck uh, in these, these early days of Arizona legalization. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Pleasure Thank to be you. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com on Spotify and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfault.